0: I walk it, call it poor man special Seen more than envy in the eyes on my drive This is all my losses just to keep my sister proud Can't describe the time it took just for me to hold my head Instead of showing all my knowledge, slow to speak instead And beyond that, I learned how to finesse the force Direct with my mouth, peace, that's verbal intercourse What's that? What's that? Uh Direct with my mouth, peace, that's verbal intercourse the course, just Welcome back, world, to the Verbal Intercourse Podcast. Got your host, Nick Walker, back in the building with you today. Shout out to everybody that's been listening, supporting the podcast, sharing the podcast, subscribing to it on YouTube. Very appreciative over here at Verbal Intercourse. Today, got some very special guests in the the building, Mr. Sergeant Christian Vance and his mother, Mrs. Vance. Very appreciative to have these two well-spoken individuals. In in on my platform today, and it's and it's gonna be a great time today. We're talking about adolescent and pediatric mental health, which is uh, a, a really big deal currently, especially we we all reside in Jackson, Mississippi, where we 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 saw a fellow mellow a, a, a fellow Meru classmate, well not classmate, but a, a girl that went to Murrah at the time, and she basically committed suicide which is it, it was very terrible and horrible for me to hear about especially me and Christian being alums of Murrah so today I kind of wanted to talk about that and uh, also talk about what can we do for our children that's that's living in America in Mississippi in Jackson Mississippi as well and talk about what the things that we can do as far as listening to our children and helping them become more health well so today um Mr. Sergeant Christian Vance, wanted to introduce you and, and, you know, tell the people a little bit about you.
1: Hey, you guys, I'm uh, Christian Vance, Sergeant with uh, JPD. Y'all know me, uh, graduated from Murray Jackson State. I've known Nick since I was my son's age, probably about 11, 12 years old, uh, product of two great parents. And uh, so I had to bring my mom here, who's a, a, a mental health professional, here and just you know how my job is um, just dealing with uh in a reactionary way in a reactionary way a lot of times in my police job dealing with children who might be struggling with mental health and then on the other community side in a proactive way uh dealing with um children that might be struggling with uh with, with uh, mental health issues go ahead mama
2: Good evening, everyone. My name is Sabrina Vance. I'm a LCSW, a licensed clinical social worker. I am the owner of Grace for Today LLC. It is a I'm a mental health provider. I have been a mental health provider since 2009. Um, I've had nine years of experience with um, Heinz Behavioral Health Service. Uh, I was for seven for seven of those years I was a school based therapist, and then for the last two years I was the project director of uh, Infusion Metro, which was a program that Heinz that that Behavioral Health Service has, right, to help um, children, youth, and their families. I also worked at Brentwood uh, Adolescent, in the Adolescent Unit as a therapist. I used to be the manager of the Children's Psychiatric War Three Circle at UMMC, And then I decided to start my own practice. And I primarily work with children, youth, and their families, but I also do work with um, adults.
0: Wow, so so for everybody that's gonna listen, we have very two very well qualified people to talk about this topic right here. And so today I'm gonna just be sitting back, learning, and asking questions because these two they they got a a vast major a vast amount of information. So the the first question I wanted to ask Miss Vance, especially you since since you're a parent, you raised Christian. Um, at, how early and at what point did you start introducing different different uh, questions to your children about how they were feeling as well as um, what, uh, like, as far as, like, how they were feeling and how they feel mentally on a day-to-day basis?
2: Well, I have to say this, that um, one of the things with my children when, like, you know, when they come home from school, it's like, how was your day? Now, what did you do today? And they would say, Nothing. That was not going to fly with me. <laughs> okay. You were at school for eight hours. I need to know what you did during those eight hours. We have, if we as parents have to keep a line of communication open with our children, we have to be observant. You know, we have to, and, and, and our children today um, are experiencing things that I know you two didn't have to experience, mm-hmm. and I know I did not have to experience. And we, You know, that old adage, it takes a village to raise a child. It definitely takes a village to raise children these days. Uh, We have gotten away in the African-American community where we would allow other people to say things to our kids. When we saw things going on, when I was growing up, um, Miss Sally beat your butt. (laughs) Mr. Henry beat your butt. Mm -hmm. And then you got your butt beat when you got home. But now we don't want anyone saying anything to our children, you know. And so we have got to stop doing that. We have got to be observant. We have got to notice if our child is acting differently than what we're used to, you know, to the norm. Mm -hmm. And we cannot allow our children to say there's nothing wrong when we know there's something wrong. We need to be able to offer a safe environment where our children feel comfortable talking to us. You know, we need to stop being our children's friends Okay, I love my son. He is 33 years old, but he is not my friend. I'm his mama, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's just the bottom line. I'm, I'm his mother. Uh, another problem I see is that we don't respect our children. We expect our children to respect us, but we do not respect them. And so in turn, they're disrespectful. We have some, you know, Christian sees it. I see it. I mean, I've seen it for years. We have some children who have some behavioral issues, some mental health issues, and oftentimes when I would meet the parents, I would see why the children are the way they are. Right. You know, call them a spade a spade. Parents, we got to do better.
0: Yeah, that's, that's definitely real. Christian, Christian I want to hear your opinion about that since, since, you know, one of my favorite things to, to watch you do is be a father. uh, be a father to your own children and be a father to all of the children that's in your community as well as the firm foundations so talk to me a little bit about how do you introduce mental health into into those children because um like like your mother said these kids these days they dealing with a lot of different things whether it's social media whether it's uh drugs that they were introduced is some of the drugs that i see mm-hmm. kids introduced to these days that i didn't even <laughs> i right. still don't know right you know so so talk to me a little bit about that
1: well um uh, kids that are definitely overexposed they're overexposed it's a microwave generation they want everything fast we give them we give uh, them things everything fast because uh quite frankly in my opinion our generation has been lazy parents so I say us, anywhere between 30 and 40, we've just been lazy, you know, as far as letting TV and media and all this stuff, raise our kids and put it in front of them to sit down and shut up. And so I can say, you know, from growing up 80s, 90s, 2000s, and having two, you know, rock star parents, you right. know, and then becoming, a, a you know, a father um, with an amazing wife who's an amazing mother, um, that the main thing about it is to be intentional. And you, you can't be a good parent on accident. And you can't raise good kids on accident. So So um, my main thing is to be intentional with um, the lessons that I'm trying to teach my children. I, I want you to be uh, conscientious and thoughtful first to yourself, you know, because that's how it starts. You can't be – I can't expect you to go out here and be patient and kind and loving and conscientious and thoughtful to everybody else if it doesn't start with yourself. If you're not able to um, look at yourself and see what you need, look at yourself and say – Okay, I made a mistake, but I'm still good. I'm still, you know. And so one of the things, and I posted, I, I shared this uh, yesterday on Facebook. It was a memory uh, on Facebook. You know, it comes up, and it was a picture of Muhammad Ali. says, I'm young, I'm fast, I'm pretty, and I can't possibly be beat. And so, you know, I came into the world feeling that way. That's mm-hmm. how I feel about myself. I, this is how I feel. And so my parents, um, they never try to alter me. They try to make me the best me that I can be. You know, okay, this is how he is. This this is how his engine runs. So let me try to make him the best him he can be. So even with my children, I have four children, three boys and one girl. They're all very, very different. And it's my responsibility as a parent to learn them. You know, it's not our kids' responsibility to be learned. It's our responsibility to learn them like a mechanic. Okay, you know, you don't take a a Bugatti to, to the Mercedes dealership for oil change. Right. you know you, you know what i'm saying you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. you can't so i got four different children and and their buttons are pushed different ways and it's for, for me to learn okay all right how does he respond to this or how does she like when my daughter is feeling when i when i notice that she's feeling very pleased with herself and she's feeling very confident and she's feeling unstoppable i mentally look at that situation and say okay what was going on right here that made her feel this way how can I recreate this as much as I can? Because knowing that I'm not always going to be here, you know. So so she has to carry that with her. So, like, even my parents, I'm 33 years old, the lessons they taught me, you know, when I'm out here on the street dealing with people, those lessons stay with me. They're not there. They're sleeping in the bed at this point. But they were intentional with how they raised me. And so to parents of children, like, you can't be – a good parent on accident. Like my mom said, she did every day. How are you feeling? Um, what happened in school? We couldn't say nothing. We left at seven o'clock. And then, <laughs> then, 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 I had football practice. It, 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 you know say it's 5.30, man. I've been gone for 10 hours. Like, you know, and just like at the Perkins Center with the boys and the girls. And so two of the different things I see is, you know, the boys are getting mad at me um, with the firm foundation, everything I was doing, cause they say, Well, you being so nice to the girls and you talk to us like this, one of the things I noticed was a lot of our kids were being you know, raised in single parent households, this and that. And so the dynamic is so different and the boys would not have a lot of responsibility.
2: You mm-hmm. know, their
1: mothers, it, it'd be it would be lopsided. So the boys get away with murder, this and that. And so whenever time I talked to the young men, I would my my dynamic to them was, uh, what are you doing? What do I need you to do? Um, this is what I expect from you. This is what I need because I had to set standards for them because I had to fill that gap that they weren't getting, you know, and, and then with the girls, it was different. So at home and at school, a lot was expected of them. So my approach with them was how are you feeling? How are they treating you? What's going on? Because I had to subsidize uh, what they weren't getting. And so the boys are, you so nice to them. I'm treating them that way because I can tell what they're not getting. Right. Right. And I want to give them that and I can tell what you Big face I can tell I can tell what you're not getting By how you acting So I want to give you that So It's just about being intentional man Wow
0: That's That's definitely amazing Uh, Listening to y'all two talk It it makes me think about You know Especially when Miss Vance Said uh, You know When you come home from school She always asks How you doing I always I always would say fine And And you know That was enough uh, For my parents But I can vividly remember You know, being in the tenth grade and not and and being on the basketball team and not playing as much as I thought I should have been playing, and I remember and I remember my grades dropping, and it was due to depression. I wouldn't, you know, and and looking and, and I only I only was able to understand it after I read about anxiety and depression. Of course, of course, you know, fine wasn't fine wasn't good for you because you literally did this every day. You know, my.
2: So let me, let me back. You. Oh yeah. Go ahead. So I became a therapist. I went back to school when I was 42 years old. Oh wow.
0: Yeah, I was 42
2: years old or maybe 43. I thought like I was too smart not to have a college degree. I'm just being honest. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, when I graduated from high school at Pro- Provine, I know yeah, I, went to, I went to Provine, I went to Provine high school and, um, I went to Miss Valley State my freshman year to major in psychology. Unfortunately, back in 1979, 1980, Valley State did not have a psychology department. Wow. Okay. So there's no way I was going to get a psychology degree. But anyway, we moved to California, had the kids and everything, came on back. So I went to Jackson State. Like I said, I was 42, 43, and got my degree in psychology. Um, And so then I said, and Jackson State only offers a clinical PhD. At that time, I'm 47. I'm not trying to spend five or six more years in school. And, you know, you need a graduate degree. So I had gotten a minor in social work. And so I decided to get my master's in social work. So I actually, I didn't become um, a therapist until 2009.
0: So it was just innately in you that to have those skills to be like, okay, fine isn't enough. You you kind of got to spill it out for me.
2: I'm 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 that way, and you with my students. You know, I don't call them my clients. I don't call them my patients. I call them my students. When I ask them, you know, how are you doing? Or what's going? You know, they they want to shake their head. I said, I'm a verb. Miss Vance is verbal. I need to hear some words come out of your mouth. You know, I'm not going to accept that. Um, We have my husband and I set a high bar for our children. Oftentimes we were talked about because, oh, you guys think you're better than everybody else. No, that's not it. <laughs> right. I set a high bar. They may not achieve it, but they were going to, you know, get up to it. We, we right now are setting, low, uh, setting a low bar for our children. Um, my son will tell you um, he could bring home D's, but if I knew he was doing the very best he could do, I'm not gonna have a problem with that. He couldn't bring home a seat, and I knew he could do better than that. Now, nah, brother, that's not gonna work. you know, and so the thing is, I would ask our you know my students you know about their grades and stuff, and they said, oh, I'm passing I said they you know they said my grades are good, I said, what do you have? And they say ds they thought that was okay. Mm. and then I, and the thing is with our parents, and I, I don't want to like I'm bashing our parents, but parents, we have got to do better we are rewarding behavior that is inappropriate. There is no way these children be having these iPhones playing these video games. Christian will tell you, he couldn't play video games till the weekend. Mm. <laughs> he could not play video games till the weekend. Um, our children, cell phones. Okay, so and I understand why children are having cell phones if it is to for communication with the parents or so the parents know where they but you know what? I'm sorry. I just have a problem with, and I had a student who was in kindergarten who had a dag blessed iPhone. I had a problem with that. Yeah, definitely. And so the thing <laughs> is, um, I know uh, a couple of, back when one of my daughters, when she turned 16, her her um, aunt bought her a Virgin mobile phone, right? <laughs> y'all, if y'all remember that. Yeah. No contract, <laughs> buy your minutes and all that kind of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. She had a job. She bought her minutes and stuff. When he turned 16, he didn't want that, okay? When my other daughter turned mm-hmm. 16... She got her virgin, you know what I mean, got a no-contract phone. So, folks say, why no-contract? Because if your grades ain't right, if you ain't acting right, I ain't paying no bill. So, one of my other children, she got her phone when she turned 16, right? First report card came out. So, she turned 16 in June. First report card came out, was it like in September, October, and them grades was trash? (laughs) Ask me when she got a phone. Ask me when she got a phone.
0: (laughs) And when did she get it?
2: When she turned 18 and she could buy her own. Wow. We have got to be consistent with our children. You know, like I said, we can't be their friends. We cannot reward behaviors that's inappropriate. But the school is calling you all the time because Sally Sue is acting a nut, and <laughs> Sally Sue is getting to do all kinds of things. That's a problem with that,
0: right?
2: You know, it's a problem.
0: So, what are what are some of the signs and symptoms that you that you kind of see often in your clients that's been going through some at home or going through some depression or anxiety or so.
2: Many, you know, depression looks different in children. You mm. know, when people hear depression, they think, you know, you're sad, you're crying. And so what I did was I actually pulled out some things so I okay. know I can not forget anything. Okay. So depression in children looks like this. Um, well, first, let me talk about some risk factors for childhood depression. So some of the risk factors. Changing to a new school. Okay, children need stability. And if you're moving all the time, that's co- that causes a problem. Conflict in the home. There needs to be peace in the home. Uh, dealing with bullying in person or on social media, media. I have so many students in my private practice who are dealing with bullying, and it's up to us parents and the school system to take care of that, and they're not doing it. Uh, Dealing with medical issues. I mean, as I told you, I was the um, manager of the children's psychiatric unit at um, UMC. And you have children who are chronically ill. They're suffering from depression because they're in and out of the hospital all the time. Uh, Parental separation or divorce. Okay. Um, I, I say this, you know. We need to be intentional about who we having children with. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, I'm just saying we need to be intentional. And the thing is, and I say this because there's so many single mothers, and there's there are absent fathers. You like the mama enough to have that baby. You need to <laughs> like her enough and that child to take care of your child. You don't have to be in the same home, but you need to be. You need to co-parent. And that's also a, a lot of things that are wrong with our children. Okay. And then also, some start of school, whether it's kindergarten, you know, start in middle school, start in high school. Um, there's a lot of anxiety about that. Okay. So, um, signs of depression in children, um, ages 12 and younger, may include the following decreased interest in favorite activities if you know your child likes to watch coco melon or what all these shows you know all Mm -hmm. the time and stuff you know you can set your clock by it then all of a sudden they're not doing it Mm -hmm. there's something wrong Uh, difficulty initiating and or maintaining social relationships that is so i can't even think of the word i want to say for our children socialization and I know, uh, I guess you, I know you guys know this, that when COVID happened mm-hmm. and we had um, uh, virtual learning in our schools, uh, what people failed to realize that maybe they might understand this. But schools is more than just ABCs and one, two, threes. Schools for our children is socialization. Schools where they can do extracurricular activities for some of our children because we have such food insecurity in the state of Mississippi. They know they're going to get at least two meals. Okay, And then also, school is also a safe haven for our children who are being abused. Mm-hmm. You know, they know for seven or eight hours, nobody's going to mess with them, okay? Um, extreme, sensitivity, extreme sensitivity to rejection or failure. What well, we need to instill in our children, we're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. It is okay. We need to get, I mean, from time to are little bitty, because... Nobody likes to hear the word no all the time, you know what I mean? But they have to understand that's part of life. So as a parent, you need to talk, intentionally talk with your child about, you know, it's okay if um, you didn't get to do A, B, C, or D, you know. It's okay if Sally C does not like you. It's okay everybody is not going to like you. And guess what? You're not going to like everybody. It's okay. We need to let our children know it's okay. Um, physical symptoms with no medical cause. So they're saying, you know, oh my stomach hurts. You know, I have a headache. Mm-hmm. They don't, but they don't have a fever. You know, I mean, there's no it's, it's psychosomatic. You know, because they're feeling with, with depression or anxiety. Frequent absences from school and or a sudden decline in grades. You think they're going to school? They couldn't. <laughs>
1: Okay. That's what you were talking about. Yeah, right? see, grazed, right?
0: yeah, Yeah, see, I had a sudden I had a sudden drop in grades in yeah. tenth grade and and it was basically just from depression. Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah. And
2: mm-hmm. so you need to uh parents, you know, like I say, you gotta be intentional. You know, you need to ask questions. Okay, if my son, Nick making all A's, now he making C's and D's, it's a this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, Frequent sadness, tearfulness, or crying. If they're just always, just always, just sad and crying, you know, that's that's a clinical sign of depression. Hopelessness, you know, low energy, low self-esteem, increased irritability. Um. Like I say, people think you know when children you know think about depression, they don't think about if a child is irritable all the time. Now you know we all get irritated. But if that child is constantly, I mean, this seems like nothing is working for them and they're just acting out and stuff, they're irritable. That's a sign of depression. So that's in children. So let me just get this. It um, uh, says major change in eating or sleeping patterns, obsessive fears or worries about death, okay? Social I- os- isolation, that happened with COVID. Um, talking about or attempting to run away from home, thoughts or expressions of suicide or self-harming behavior. I have a new client that I met, well, it's virtual, this week. And um, she said that last year during virtual learning, and she lives in another state, and she was saying how her room, she didn't want to take a shower. You know, her room was just trash. I mean, she didn't clean up or anything. She said that um, she actually had gotten a knife and cut herself. You know, well, I don't think she actually cut. I think her parents came and called her. And this was her word. She said to me, I felt like my parents should have done something about it. They did not do anything. Yeah. When I told her, I said, well, her parents should have done. First of all, they should have noticed when they saw how her room was and stuff and how she wasn't bathing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, this is, that's a sign of depression. And they should have taken her to the emergency room. They should have made sure that she got the mental health counseling that she needed this is what they said to her well you're not 13 yet and it might be hard for you to find somebody so when you turn 13 she decided i do i'm a online therapist with better help and she wrote out her stuff and told me what was going on Mm. with her
1: wow Mm.
2: okay trouble concentrating Um, signs of depression in teens increased interest in topics related to death increased risk-taking behaviors excessive or inappropriate feelings of guilt, feelings of worthlessness or self-hatred, substance use, short temper, and troublemaking decisions. Parents, teachers, uh, village, we have to be intentional. We have to take care of our children. They don't know how to express themselves, especially our little bitties, you know. Um, they can't say, Mommy, um, I really, you know, I don't feel like living. I don't, You know what I'm just saying? They can't, they can't express themselves, so they do things, you know, and you need to know your child. This young man right here is a talker. He gets it honestly, as you can tell. <laughs> but <laughs> if he all of a sudden is not talking and not being joey on stuff, I know there's something wrong with him. And I'm going to say, Christian, what's going on? And he's not going to be able to tell me, Mommy, nothing. Because what I say, boy, stop lying to me <laughs> and tell me what's going on. We have to be intentional.
0: Yes, ma'am. And and I I thought it was interesting that you brought up the fact of how COVID affected um, adolescents and and chat and children mm-hmm. because statistics basically say that when when well the pandemic is still going on, but during the height of the pandemic, mm-hmm. how attempted suicides increased yeah. about like fifty percent. Um, especially among uh, young female women, right? Which uh, takes me back to this this Mustang student, this Merle Mustang student who um, killed herself off of uh, Woodrow Wilson and stuff like that. So, one thing that I that through my research I often see, well, even even I've been to mental health therapy and all of it, but one thing that I've often saw was the access, because I feel like this i feel like the system kind of failed this young woman as mm-hmm. far as no one noticed um even even for her to even get out the school to even do that you know um so talk to me a little bit about the accessibility of okay. being able to talk to someone and the accessibility in the community and how we're supposed to safeguard stuff from happening like
1: this
2: ball, um first of all i want to say what the young lady at Murrah High School, wasn't that something they, nobody noticed. They didn't care because mm-hmm. the signs were there. Okay. They didn't care. And they're going to have to deal with that. Okay. Okay. So accessibility. Um, in the state of Mississippi has community mental health centers and they're, um, they're in regions. So in Hines County, we're region nine. That's Hines Behavioral Health Service on highway 80. Okay. Region eight, Is Madison, Rankin, I think Apaya, maybe Lincoln or Simpson County. Okay. Um, Any parent can go to a community mental health center and get an intake. Now, let me, I want to say this. Um, For Heinz Behavioral Health Service, well, JPS, Jackson Public School District, their secondary schools, um, they have a limitation because JPS has contracted with only one mental health agency to see secondary schools, So I mean, middle schools and high schools. I have a problem with that because JPS has enough, there are enough children with mental health issues that you need about seven or eight different providers. So my question to JPS, to Dr. Eric Green, who um, they're so concerned about their scholars, how is it that for the last eight years you have only allowed one mental health agency to be able to provide services in the school to your scholars? Now, um, they will say, well, our scholars can have other mental health therapists. The thing is they're not allowed to come into the schools. Where do our children spend the majority of their days in school? Mm -hmm. So that's a problem, and I think that's something that needs to be addressed. Um, The pediatricians, you know, they're at the front line. You know, they need to be able to, you know, that's why, you know, parents need to talk with the pediatricians and, you know, say, you know, well, uh, Sally Sue was acting this way, whatever, whatever, and they can uh, offer referrals, you know. Uh, The UMMC has the K Clinic, okay. Um, I know there's there's, uh, Precise. I think this name is Precise, it's um, it's in Flowood. There's Canopy. Now, one of the problems, the barriers, is um, insurance. Mm. Now, I know the community mental health centers take Medicaid, okay? Um, But some of these other places only take private insurance.
0: And and mental health is, is definitely expensive. Because even when I was going out, if if insurance were not covering it, mm-hmm. it w- it was a it was hundreds of dollars for one session. Exactly. Which is you know it's crazy because you know through if you just read any articles, if you just Google mental health, you know you had the COVID pandemic, and right now you're having the mental health, um, the, the the mental illness mm-hmm. pandemic as well, which is which is um, crazy because it feels like insurance companies kind of push mental health to like the other side.
2: They do. They do. I have a, I have a, um, a student right now. Now she actually has a private insurance, right? However, I'm not, and I still see her, but I'm not getting paid Mm. because the deductible is so high. Wow. You know? So every time I see her, the money is going towards her deductible, but I'm not going to stop seeing this young lady because she needs my services, you know, um, the help is out there. Now there are, there are not that many child psychiatrists in the state of Mississippi, you know, but there are plenty of licensed professional counselors. There are plenty, plenty of, um, marriage and family therapists. There are plenty of what well, I, uh, LCSW licensed clinical social workers, you know, but your pediatrician is a great referral source. Like I said, the community mental health centers, and then, um, I know, I have co-workers, former co-workers who have private practices also. You know, like I said, I have a private practice. Shameless plug is called Grace for Today. <laughs> <laughs> advertise me, advertise <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just saying. But the thing is, I love working with children and their families. And Chris, they'll tell you, I mean, I, I would always refer, like when I was a school-based therapist, I would refer to them as my kids. And my children would get upset and yeah. say, they are not yeah, your, your kids. Kid, <laughs> I'm your kids. I'm your yeah. students. You're right. <laughs>
0: so, Christian, as a, as a black male, especially in America, you know, we've, we've been basically taught to, well, I won't say all of us, but I would say the biggest theme is that, you know, to kind of keep our feelings inside, kind of, you know, don't, don't express our emotions out loud. So how how do you, how how do we change that narrative? Because I feel like with especially black men that's, that's getting in the prison system and, and not getting educated and, and going down the wrong path, a lot of it is just due to the fact that they weren't, they didn't feel comfortable or in a safe space to be able to express themselves. And especially with you um, being in a lot of black males' lives, coaching sports, your own son's lives and stuff like that, how do we kind of break that narrative so that, so that black men can, can be heard out loud?
1: Man, this, this, this is a, a, a subject that is so near and dear to my heart uh, because, you know, I was raised in a household. I'm the only boy. I have four sisters. And um, I was afforded the opportunity to be a complete human being. Mm-hmm. I was afforded the opportunity to uh, enjoy the entire spectrum of human emotions and I'm going to tell you this, and, you know, I get in Facebook debates, and some ladies, my contemporaries, they don't like this, <laughs> but but black boys are not afforded the full spectrum of human emotions, and it's not just because of toxic masculinity. It's not just because of toxic patriarchy. Um, I It's, it's so crazy because I got three boys and one girl. So all my kids are different, right? They're, even the boys are different. But I have one child in particular. Who I Some things that they go through, I will never have to go through. Never. And that's my daughter. And as a man, I can understand that. Like, there are some th- things she'll confront that I'll never confront. But for some reason, a lot of my mothers have a hard time understanding. There's things, social pressures your son will feel that you'll never understand. You'll mm-hmm. never go through those things. I know a lot of women think, well, I go through everything a man goes and some. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. don't You don't you do not and it's easy for you to understand it when i put your son in the picture right you understand i'm talking about your son but i'm talking about somebody else's son who's your spouse or whoever it is you don't understand it then and i have so many people um that will debate me this and that and 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 try to who've never been a boy and never been a man and tell me what it's like to be a boy and a man and tell me what it's like to go through certain things and you just you just don't know, you mm-hmm. just don't know, and as a man, it's easier for me to look at a young girl, understand there's some things she'll go through. I just don't know. so like coming back to it, like I grew up in a household where I got to be a human being, right I got to laugh and cry and feel insecure and feel not good enough and feel all these things, but a lot of times with our boys is we the only um filter our boys have is anger. If they feel insecure, it comes out as anger. If mm-hmm. they feel unsure, it has to come out as anger. If they feel less than it has to come out as anger. Like all these things, because they're not afforded this full spectrum of being a human being, which is, that's handicapping. And you think about this eight-year-old boy, and most most of, um, and I, I'm not even with you when you talk to these young men, but it's going to be two things, anger and apathy. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not with you. I'm not with you when you do your thing. I'm out here in the street and I see this. Either they're very, very upset or they just don't care. Mm -hmm. And those are the two. But in those reactions are filled with so many different feelings of I'm poor. Mm -hmm. I don't like how I'm living. I'm not good at this. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at that. They didn't pick me for this. They didn't pick me for that. I'm unsure. I'm afraid. But they come out as apathy and anger. They we are not allowed at the we're not allowed the opportunity, uh, little black boys and I. Don't, I've I've only been a little black boy, a black young man, and a black man. I don't. So this is my community. This is where I grew up at. So this is what I'm speaking to, is I was fortunate enough, and you see my mother here, and I talk about my dad all the time. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a household where I was afforded the opportunity, and I'm affording my sons that same opportunity. Um, but it's like. We're not taking accountability, men and women for the the things we're imposing upon these young black boys. Mm-hmm. And there, and, there, and I can talk about young black girls too. there, there, there are mixed signals, there's things that um, it's got to be confusing to be a young black girl. All these mixed messages you're getting. but right now we're, we're having to be talking about young black boys. If you are a man, um, you need to intentionally become a safe space. For a boy to express inadequacy, for a boy to express fear, to a boy, for a boy to express not not feeling good enough because he is a human being, right? And let him express that, and, and to and to understand where it's coming from, and to reassure him, you you are good enough. Because I'm gonna tell you something, people who can't fear, doubt, guilt, fear, doubt, and guilt, evil spirits, man. Yeah, they're evil. They're evil. Um. Uh, I don't think uh God intended us to, you know, to feel those things. And people who can't forgive themselves and people who doubt themselves and people um who hold grudges against themselves, they treat other people the same way. So if I doubt myself consistently and I never forgive myself and you know and I and I always stay in this place of, you know, I'm not good enough and I, I, I project that to other people, mm-hmm. right? And so A lot of times, our young boys they don't have a safe space to um, express that, and then you go into adolescence and being a young man, and you get in a relationship with a a young lady, and so and she's perpetuating the same thing. When you, I, I wanna, you know, I don't feel good enough. I'm having problem with this. Man, stop acting like a girl. This is something that women also tell men, and it gets frustrating because I get on social media. I had a young lady, and I I chalk it up that she don't know enough. You know, mm-hmm. I won't go to beta. <laughs> I won't go to beta. She sit there and try to tell me uh, what women are and are not responsible for how women make men feel. You know, uh, you never been a man. You yeah. can't. I would never dream of getting on social media and telling a woman how men make them feel. Ain't there been a woman? Right. How how am I going to tell you that? You have to stop thinking that as a woman, I go through everything a man does and something. No, you don't. Right. And if you feel like that, you can't be a good mother to your son. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Because if I feel that way with my daughter, if I feel inherently it's easy to be a woman, it's impossible for me to be a good father to my daughter. I have to understand. That young, beautiful, smart, ooh, ooh I love my daughter. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> I love my daughter. I love the way her hair smells. I love my daughter. <laughs> if I look at her and say what inherently it's easy to be what she's to become, Mm-hmm. I will shortchange her. I'll shortchange her. I can't. Right. It's hard to become what she's become because she's spectacular. You look at a man and say, it was easy to be a man, but you got three sons. You short It's impossible. And they, it, for some reason, just don't register. I, I don't know why this don't connect. I don't. I don't know why I wanted. I want to connect so bad, and I, you know, years ago I used to get angry about it. I'm trying to be as good God is good. I'm trying to be as gracious as I can. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to be as gracious as I can because I keep on seeing people fail these young men because when they fail, you know, we sit around and tell my wife is is a teacher, my dad's a counselor, my oldest sister is an educator, the next sister's an educator, my mom's a counselor. So I'm a cop. We with a nonprofit. We sit around. You know, these are the conversations. This conversation yeah. we have. These yeah. are the conversations I grew up having as an adult in my adult life. I've been a cop since I was 22 You know, so these and so we try to fit and I used to tell my mom all the time, hey, I ain't no social worker. When I get there, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They didn't kick the dough in. I can't be worried about your dad, how had you get some milk, And I, He didn't come back, and, uh, and we got to go jail. You know what I'm saying? We got to go jail. But that's also the reason when I was 26, 27, I started doing the more community things and start coaching, start the firm foundation. And you know, I said, like, man, I want to get ahead of the problem. I don't want to yeah, be balancing um, a- absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And it has, it has, um, and it bared a lot of fruit. You know, as far as pulling up on scene and and um, you know, in a bad area, bad with this and that, and two or three people say, "Hey, man." Man, that's all surveillance, man. Hey, you know, because I laid the groundwork, you know. But we we had to be intentional with our young men, men. You have to heal yourself. Intensely seek help. Heal, I, man. I I have um, done therapy. I, mm-hmm. I'm pro therapy, man. I had a man. Listen, I end up having to call in the middle of the night. This is and this is a testimony to um, some of the brotherhood with some of my coworkers. I had a guy. I made. I was a sergeant. Um, when I first made Sergeant Precinct 3, this is in 2020, and, man, it's probably 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, man, dog, I'm having a problem. Yeah. I don't want to work out. I'm short with my kids. I don't want to talk. You know, that's not me. You know me. Mm-hmm. That ain't me.
0: Yeah,
1: I called a guy. He's, a, he's still a sergeant now. He was my sergeant when I was a young guy. called him. I said, bro, what, what do we have for mental health, man? He mm-hmm. said, man, listen. I'm talking, he answered the phone 3.30 in the morning. Hey, man, listen, do this and that. Da, 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 just cover that, da. da. Cool, man. Cool. So, but I felt comfortable coming to him because he's shown himself that way to me. Mm -hmm. And if somebody doesn't feel comfortable coming to you, you may have negated being intentional, showing yourself available to them. You know, you have to intentionally make yourself available. So men, when it comes to our young black men uh, who are um, woefully and criminally neglected, uh, you have to be intentional with making yourself a safe space. You can't do it on accident. Even with my kids, I had a hard time with Solomon. It was this time last year. And I, I always prided myself of being a great father. And I feel like I had um, disconnected with my son because he was, you know, he's 11 now. He's, you know, he's yeah. different. He going yeah. through a different thing now. Yeah. And so he, he, you know, and without, I ain't going to put all the business out there, but, <laughs> but, but you know, because he got business now. But, but <laughs> basically he was having some self-doubt. And I had to really, that was the first time. And I talked to, you know, my dad about it and, and my wife and Bradford. And, you know, I'm like, man, I, am I a good dad like yeah you know but i really i remember hey it's my responsibility to learn this boy and he could have not come to me that's another thing that's a victory. Like, we got to change what we think victories look like. You know what I'm saying? Just because your child having a problem and they come to you, that's not a defeat. Mm-hmm. Bro, that's a victory. That's right. Any Anybody that comes to you with a problem, that's not, damn, we lost. That's not a loss. That's a victory because you showed yourself mm-hmm. so caring, so loving, so intentional that they thought, okay, this is a safe space, man, mm-hmm. and I can come to this person and talk to them. And so as black men, we got, to, and I believe in me, I'm tough now. I'm yeah. a bad mother. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm tough. We're here we yeah. out of yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, oh God, hey, lock me in a room with him now. But I am a complete person, man. To be the lion and the lamb is 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 the goal. To be both of those things simultaneously, to be ferocious and courageous and, and competent and compassionate and you know all these things all together at the same time and that's what we want our young men to be really that's what we want our young men to be because that's when you have a daughter you want your daughter to marry a joker like that right. you right. really do right. you really really do to somebody that's patient and compassionate but at the same time is ferocious when they got to be and you want that balance but we focus on all this other bull crap we have to make sure they're healthy on the inside and ladies women you have to let men be people, complete human beings, not just your son, not <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> not just little Roscoe. I know you love him. <laughs> I know you love him. He's a third grade in Spain. That's that's my baby. Yeah, that's he got an iPhone and a PlayStation Five chain, and all that gold chain, gold on him chain. <laughs> you know, all that you gotta let somebody else, son, be a complete person. You know, and the same thing with fellas. We have to intentionally uh, be open and love and understanding and compassion and all those things. But we can't be that way for somebody else if we can't forgive ourselves, if we don't feel worthy, if we can't uh, face our fears and our shortcomings. So we have to deal with ourselves first as men to be able to deal with our young black men and women as mothers, as compassionate and patient as you are with that little snot old no boy you got. <laughs> You need to be that compassionate and patient with somebody else's son. Mm-hmm. You know, cause he's a person too. So like I said, I am uh, long-winded. Like oh nah. Mom and dad. <laughs> nah, it's,
0: hey, hey, that, that was powerful, man. You know, I I want to say I'm very appreciative to have y'all on the podcast today. Uh Mr. Vance and Mrs. Mrs. well, Christian Vance and Mrs. Vance. I wanted to make sure that I got that right, cause you might you might get it on video. You might listen to it. <laughs> But, yeah, man, hey, everybody keep supporting Verbal Intercourse Podcast. We're going to close it down on those powerful words by Christian Vance, and we out. Peace.